Welcome to Be The Light Podcast with C.B. Barthlow, lead pastor of Denver Beacon. I am your host, Pastor Ty Morris. Our desire is to lead the lost, the broken, and the hopelessness of our communities, to be light bearers in our city set on a hill. Now tune in for our sermon series. Say yeah. You ready to jump in the word? Say yeah. Do me a favor. Open it up to James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. James, ooh, which one's yours? Okay, good. James 1, 5 through 8. You remember last week we were in the book of James. We kicked off this brand new series called Walk It Out. And the, and the, and the series itself is really for us a study on how to answer the question, how should I be a Christian? Or what is it like for me to walk out my faith? And our first message from the first four verses of the text helped us to understand a proper perspective for difficult times. James taught us in no uncertain terms to count everything that you go through that is hard as something that is good for you. We called it good trouble. And I pushed every one of us to put our hands on our heart and declare, trouble is good. Trouble is good. And some of y'all were worried, like, am I inviting trouble? No, making a declaration that I have victory over trouble. And today we, we transition our conversation today to just four more verses, verses 5 through 8, where James starts to put some more doctrinal understanding of why he can make such a bold claim. James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, it reads as follows. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Another challenging passage of Scripture. Title of our message today is super simple. It's, it's, it's you got to believe. You got to believe. Yeah, yeah. I was going to title it Don't Stop Believing, but that's a journey song. And I don't know about you, but I do not like journey. I have two bands that I definitely don't like, and they're Journey and Bon Jovi. Just so we can maintain our friendship, don't ever play Journey or Bon Jovi around me. So the title of today's message is You Got to Believe. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for the time that we get to spend today in your word. Would you open up scripture, open our hearts and open our minds to receive from you a fresh, a tailor-made word that speaks right to our condition and changes us from the inside out. Now, God, speak through these lips of clay, the unsearchable riches of Christ, that they are able to make forth an inheritance amongst all those that are sanctified. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I mentioned last week that the book of James rarely has any overarching themes, whereas a lot of the Pauline letters can be encapsulated in one or two statements. This more general letter from James, the bishop of the church in Jerusalem, is written without an arc, but with a bunch of great big ideas. You remember I said last week that perhaps this letter was a, was a synopsis of his homilies or sermons. And, and while the text itself doesn't have these big arches, each one of these big movements of thought do connect. There is always connective tissue here. For example, last week we talked about trouble. We talked about the ways in which you should see trouble. And James says it's good. And it's good because... It's good because it makes you stronger. And from that strength, 
You're made more perfect. Remember we talked about this? Whole in mind and spirit. You're made more complete, whole in body. And you lack nothing whole in your life that you live here on earth. Beautiful teaching. And if you were to study this scripture with an ear for applying it to your life, you should ask, those are great things, but literally, how can I see bad things as good? Whenever we study scripture, you should always be asking questions. A good Bible student is one who inquires of the text, doesn't just take it at face value, but says why or what or how. And hear me, that's good. That's not doubt. You with me? You should be asking for more from the text so that you can get more from the text. And if you were to ask how of our teaching last week, how can I see bad things as good things? James aims to answer it here. He says it's, it's wisdom. Wisdom helps you to understand things differently than the world understands them. Trouble doesn't need relief. Trouble doesn't need strength. Your trouble needs more wisdom in you. And that's the conversation we're going to have here today. He says in verse 5, if any of you lack wisdom... James writes from a distinctly Jewish bent. James is obviously a converted believer in Jesus Christ, his half-brother. He's positioned as a leader within the Christian church. He's the head of the church in Jerusalem, which makes him the leader of all of the leaders. But James was also a very devout man to his own Jewish faith, a, a follower of Yahweh and a believer and practitioner of the Old Testament scriptures. And so when he writes, implied of much of the language, in the language that he writes, is the echo, the type and shadow of ancient wisdom literature. Some people argue that the book of James is a, a book of instruction or a book of commandment commandments. And, and I'm one of the believers that the book of James is yes and also the primary book of wisdom within the New Testament. And if you don't know what a book of wisdom is, you should, you should throw all the way back in, into the New Testament to books like Psalms, Proverbs, Job, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes. These portions of text within the Old Testament are writ written specifically with a bent towards imparting wisdom. And so when James writes specifically this book, he writes with the understanding of generations of Jewish thought, but he also writes through a lens of a wisdom teacher. Y'all with me? And so we finally get to land on sort of one of his core teachings, which is wisdom. And if he were to title this section of our study today, verse 5, he would say this, in all your getting, get wisdom. You ever heard that before? In all of your getting, get wisdom. If you're going to go after anything, go after wisdom. You say, wait a minute. Aren't there a, a lot of other really great things I could ask God for? Absolutely. They're wonderful. You could ask God for peace, and he'd faithfully give that to you. You could ask God for joy, he'd faithfully give that to you. You could ask God for strength, and I know he'll give that to you. But James and others throughout the history of our faith would say this. In all your getting, get wisdom first. Now, I want to say something about this, and we're going to address a few different unique parts about this text today, which is um, whenever there's a commandment in Scripture, like this loaded commandment, if you lack anything, go after wisdom, go after it. Whenever there's a, a commandment like this, you, you should be led to ask this question, why does this matter to God? We talked about asking questions of the text, and I want to just 
put some easy skin on for you. Whenever there's a commandment in the text that says you should do the following, you should ask this question. Why? Not because you doubt it, not because you disagree with it, but so that you better understand the heart behind it and can catch not just the religious mandate, but the spiritual principle that can guide you through it. Y'all with me? So when it says don't fornicate, don't just not fornicate. Ask, what is important about my body that God wants it to remain holy, that I might avoid premarital sex and therefore please God and honor myself for the relationship God's had me for? Y'all see what I'm saying? Ask why. Ask why? Now, I know we feel weird about asking why, because we were told as kids, don't you question me, amen? You ever ask why of your parents at one point, and they answer with, because I We had the same parents? That's so weird. God has never said that. If any of you lack wisdom, ask for it. Why? So glad you asked. You should be asking whenever God provides a commandment or a mandate, what is in this from you for me? How can I align myself not just in deed but in living? So let's define wisdom here for just a moment. Wisdom, the Greek word that James uses is Sophia. So if you know a Sophia, now you know why she was named that. Sophia is this, ready? Wisdom is God-given and God-centered discernment for living. Wisdom is, is God-given knowledge, revelation, insight, and understanding that is God-centered knowledge, revelation, insight, and understanding that plays it out through your discernment, understanding on how to apply God to the world. You with me? Hear me. It is not enough that you know scripture. You can quote every scripture in this book, and I know you know some religious folk just like this, but can't apply it to your life. You know some Christians and some believers who live like worldly people, but they know every word of this. They lack wisdom. They have knowledge. They're book smart, but not street smart. Amen. Next week, my son and I and Chanel, uh, we're all getting a chance to go to, to, to Chicago for a, a, a college visit. And, um, and it's at a Christian college. And and one of my favorite theologians taught there. And, um, and I was excited not only to go with Cal as he went on a visit, but also tour the university, one of the universities he may choose to attend. But I was also trying to sneak in a, a, little, a little lunch date with this theologian just to be like, hey, man, I want to uh, just say hello. And so I sent him an email. And he faithfully responded, and he said, I just retired. Oh, man. But... The reason I tell you this is because in my email to him, I, I always, whenever I engage with incredibly smart theologians, and I've been blessed to meet some people of great wisdom, I always preface my initial conversation with them as I'm a pastor of a church in downtown Denver, and I've been put into this position by providence, not by expertise. I didn't learn my way to become a pastor. I failed my way to become a pastor. And I always tell them so they know who they're meeting with. Amen. Because they'd be sitting down for coffee thinking, I also have a PhD in Bible. And I'm, no, I've got a PhD in failure in Jesus' name. <laughs> Amen. Not talking to anybody in the house. But here's what I, what I lack is the book smarts to write books. But what I possess is the wisdom to live out the book. 
Now, I'm not trying to tell you that so that I'm a hero. I'm trying to tell you that for every one of us who feels like we lack in wisdom, understanding, knowledge, and everybody else is so much smarter than us. No, they're not. You can have the same level of wisdom that they have too. How do I know this? Because James says it. If any of you lack wisdom, ever feel like you lack wisdom, show of hands. Good. This is for you. James says, ask God. And he will give it to you. Because he gives without reproach and he gives generously. Now here's what we need to understand about this specific portion of text. When James makes a commandment to ask of wisdom and he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, it's a loaded commandment and a loaded conversation. He is not inquiring of whether or not some of you here lack wisdom. He is writing both to the first century church and to us today to say, if I know you like I know you, you lack wisdom. You with me? There is no one in here who has officially attained Christian enlightenment. Not one of us is perfect at solving life's problems. The truth of the matter is, is that all of us, it's implied in the text, every one of us is in desperate, dire need for more and more wisdom. You need it to move forward in your life. And if you need it, you should start asking today, right now. And the good news for you and I is that God is a giver, especially of wisdom generously. He is not up in heaven being like, well, we have only so much wisdom. So the first 12 who register will get the wisdom. It's a $50 fee. And you also have to do these many religious things. No, God says, we have an abundance of wisdom. Jesus is wisdom. I sent him into the world to impart wisdom. There's more wisdom up here than you could ever fathom. You need wisdom to walk through this day. Raise your hand if you need wisdom. And you're like, I need wisdom. And he's like, great, here you go. You might ask this question of yourself. I need wisdom, but I'm not always perfect. James recognizes that problem for most of us as believers. You ever come to church and I'm like, God is a healer. God is a deliverer. He's good. And the enemy tells you, yes, but not for you. You ever felt that once before? Oh, not with what you've done. Not the way you live. Oh, no, he'll give wisdom, but you're going to have to get a little more holy before he will. You ever feel that spirit in your heart? James says, if any of you lack wisdom, ask who gives generously and without reproach. Meaning, it does not matter how holy or unholy you are, God gives wisdom to anyone who asks. Is that awesome to anybody else? That means that when I'm in the temple, in the church, in the high and holy place, I can ask for wisdom and he'll pour it into my life. Amen. It also means that when I was in the jail cell and in the dope house, and walk in the streets, I too could ask for wisdom and he would generously pour it out. Y'all with me? This is good of our God. And I don't know if you're anybody who's walked these two roads, but the only way you get from that side of town to this side of town is wisdom. Learning how to take what God says and apply it to your life. You don't need more help. You actually don't need more strength. You don't need more joy. You don't need more peace. You don't need more of anything. You need more wisdom. And so when I say something like that, you should ask the question, well, why? How? 
what? Proverbs 3 and 13 clearly helps us to understand what wisdom is to God. The Bible says that wisdom is a blessing beyond everything else. This is going to be a theme through our time in the study of James, but there are no questions or uncertainties in this teaching from James. Everything he says and every echo he, te- he echoes, every teaching he echoes from the Old Testament is one of absolute certainty. There are clear declarations that say, this is the truth, end of sentence, full stop. And Proverbs 3 and 13 says that blessings are good and curses will come, but wisdom is a blessing above them all. And the teaching is this, if you get wisdom, there is no curse in your life that can beat wisdom. You say, what do you mean? I mean to tell you this, that if you continually ask from the Lord, help me to understand, help me to have insight, help me to perceive, help me to see things like you see things and apply this Bible to my life, help me to see the world as you see it, that even when the enemy enemy throws his very best at you, you can see right through his best to the very best that God has for you. It's a blessing beyond anything else, which means the devil is never stronger than a wise person. You know, we oftentimes pray for power. God, give me power. Give me strength. But how many of y'all know you can be strong and dumb at the same time? Am I talking to anybody? How many of you ever just bull in a china shopped your way through life? Strong, dumb. That's why the Lord says, in all you're getting, get wisdom. Wisdom according to the Lord is a blessing beyond all else. And you might ask yourself, okay, so when should I start asking for wisdom? When, when should I get this? Through? When is a good time to seek God for wisdom? Ready? What, what is it? Now, right? That's why Proverbs 4, 7 says, in all you're getting, get wisdom. The idea is this. Before you ask him for one more thing, just start there. And the reason I tell you this is because so many of us are praying for so many things from God, specifically blessings. You're praying, we're praying for provision. You're praying for love. You're praying for hope. You're praying for good things to come. And how many of you know that you can get a good thing and turn a good thing to a bad thing because you didn't understand the thing? You know what I'm talking about? You prayed for the relationship. You got it. And then you messed it up. Prayed for the job. Lot on your resume. Come on, somebody. Got the job messed it up. You don't need more stuff. You need to know how to live with the stuff you got. Because you can make good things out of little things. One of the things I've learned over my years as a grown adult is um, when I take care of the things I have, they last longer. (laughs) I know that might seem simple, but it turns out it's true. I don't need new cars. I just need to get an oil change in the car I have right now. And that's just a good old-fashioned practical warning for some of you who are 12,000 miles past your oil change. Just that's wisdom. Just get to Jiffy Lube tomorrow in Jesus' name. You need to know how to hold on to what God's given you. You need to know how to navigate through the journey he's put you on. So many of us are asking, give me new, give me different, put me somewhere else. And he said, no, you're there on purpose. You don't need new. You need new revelation about the old. 
oh, I've got you in a perfect place. It doesn't feel perfect. That's because you see it wrong. You understand it wrong. You spend more time complaining to me than asking for wisdom. I don't make mistakes. I put you there on purpose for a purpose. And all you're getting, get wisdom. Now, if wisdom is a blessing, and we must start with wisdom, we must clearly understand exactly how wisdom plays itself out. The book of Proverbs as well includes this in chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. The Bible says that wisdom makes your way straight. When I was in the corporate world, I worked in this sales job. When I was younger, I, I talked a lot. Who knew? And oftentimes I would meet people and they would say this sentence to me. You know, you'd be a great salesperson. And so as a young person, I just assumed that meant I would be a great salesperson. And I had many sales jobs over my life starting out. Uh, in fact, I've worked in, I've worked in call centers. I, I've worked door to door. I worked in a boiler room. Uh, I mean, I, not like, do y'all know what a boiler room is? Not like with a boiler, but like, not with a boiler, but like you had to make 150 calls a day. And I got hired at a boiler room. And the first day I got hired, I walked in as, you know, you do, you dress up. I was probably wearing some adult clothing like this. And Introduced myself, and immediately upon getting hired, the boss said, the boss, he said, you're not a caller, you're a closer. And I remember thinking, I have no idea what that is. <laughs> but I like it. He, too, saw in me what I hadn't seen myself. He said, you are a salesperson. You're a closer. You can close deals. And so I took his uh, word for it, and, and, I, and, I, and I got the job, and I started making phone calls. And, and I've had probably six sales jobs. And over the course of my six sales jobs, I can't tell you how many things I've sold. I've, I've, because I've sold zero things. I've never sold a single thing in my entire life. I've sold no things. I tell you that story to understand that. If you just listen to what the world tells you that you are, based on what they see in you. You'll chase after what the world has for you. And if it ain't what God has for you, it won't work. See, the boss had a sign on his door, the guy that hired me that called me a closer, <coughs> and he had this big sign on his door, and it, and, it, and it was divided in two. And on this side, it said, what people think success looks like. And it was this straight arrow from a starting point to an end point. People think success looks like this. And then on the next side of the sign, it said, what success actually looks like. And it was just this wild curly Q line. And I remember seeing that and being like, yeah, it's like closers see things like that. I had no idea what he was talking about. But what I should have understood was that the world was promising me a straight line. But the world can't give me a straight line. The world can only give you a bunch of twists and turns that don't work. Because if you chase after the recommendations of people who are unwise, you too will be unwise. You need to go after what God says and nothing more. So I've never sold anything, except for the only thing worth selling, which is Jesus. Y'all with me? I want to call all those people that hired me in sales and be like, you know what? I sell a good product now. <laughs> Lifetime guarantee. And I'll be closing deals in Jesus. <laughs> 
Look, here's the deal. You need to understand that the Bible tells us that wisdom makes our way straight. It eliminates your potential to get lost on a journey chasing the whims and fancies of other people who think they know best for you. Because how many of y'all know lots of people think they know best for you, but they don't know best for you. He knows best for you. Wisdom makes your way straight. So I I hope that after all of this, you're asking this one profound question. Okay, how do I go after it? Like if wisdom can do all of these things for me and what I need most of all is wisdom, then what do I got to do to get wisdom? Proverbs 1 and 7 says, it is the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom. You want to know how to start going after wisdom? Start living in reverence to the God who provides wisdom. Hear me, okay? He will give wisdom to anyone regardless of their character. But the best way to go after him is to be mindful of his character. Hear me, he's not a genie in a bottle. He is the God who created all things, both space and time. He is worthy, holy, and righteous. That's why we sing it. And the sooner you can get yourself into the proper position, which is a position of reverence and worship and fear. You said, you mean fear like reverence? No, I mean it's also good to have a healthy fear of God the better you will be able to receive from him that which he imparts that you cannot find in anything or anyone else here in this world, which is the wisdom that you need. The beginning of wisdom is to say, you are God and I am not. That might be the most wise thing you say today. And if you're like me, you get to remind yourself of that over and over again. A common refrain from me in private prayer closet prayer time is this. Okay, uh, sorry for getting in the way. You're God, and I am not. You lead. And thus begins the wisdom journey for that day. Hear me, God's will for your life is that you would live with wisdom. Wisely. With understanding and insight. Your prayer today should be this. God, give me more wisdom and more wisdom, and more wisdom. Make me wise. That should be your prayer. Amen? Let's look at the next verse, verse 6. It says this, but if anyone ask in faith, let him ask in faith with no doubting. If in all your getting you need to get wisdom, then in all your praying you got to start believing. If the first and most important thing that God wants you to seek after him, after salvation, amen, is his wisdom, then when you start talking to him, you got to start believing that you're talking to him and that he is good in Jesus' name. You hear me? We'll sing the journey song, fine. Don't stop believing. Who's going to do the part? Hold on to the... I knew I should have named it. Don't stop believing. I knew it. I knew I should have done it. In all of your praying, you've got to believe. James is writing in this passage and he's saying, when you pray, when you ask, ask in faith. Now, I need you to see something. In verse 5, James is using what we call a literary device of the proverbial third person. He says, if any one of you, that's you first person, lacks wisdom, let him, that's the proverbial third person, ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. This him, the third person, is not separate from the first person. It is one, but he's using a literary device to sort of 
say, I'm talking to you, I'm talking to you. Are you with me? And so when he transitions and says, let him ask in faith, the same thing is true. He's saying, if you're going to ask God for wisdom or healing or hope or peace or salvation, if you're going to ask for anything, ask with faith. And if you ever hear a term like that in the Bible, if you ever read scripture, you're ever in a small group, you're ever at a Bible study and people start using Christian words like faith and you don't know the exact intended original author meaning of that word, you should ask this question. Hey, what does that mean? Most of us don't do this in groups or fellowship or in Bible study because, you know, we don't want to look like the one who doesn't know. Amen? One of the curses on Christian culture is that we've all adopted these terms, and then most of us don't know these terms, but we shame each other when we don't know the term. How many of you could clearly identify the difference between sanctification and justification? (laughs) Yeah, me neither, not right off the top of my head. It's hard to understand most of these terms, and when you come to a term that you don't immediately know from top to bottom, you should ask this question. What does that mean? And faith is one of those terms. We've studied faith in this church over and over again, but it's always worth a crash course. Faith, the Greek word pistis, it means this, to be so persuaded in your heart that it leads to constancy in your walk. Hear me, faith is not belief. Faith is not what all of the people say during their award ceremonies where they say, I got to give praise to God and my faith brought me through. Faith didn't bring you through. If you put your faith in the God who can bring you through, then God brought you through. Amen? Faith is not what you feel. Faith is in your feet. You with me? And if you think you have faith, but you don't live like you have faith, you have no faith. Oh, pastor, how could you say that? I believe in Jesus Christ. Yeah, but you don't live like you believe in Jesus Christ. I love God. No, you don't. You have affection for the concept of God. But if you loved God, he says, those who love me live out my commands. It got hot in here real quick, didn't it? No, see, so many of us think that we have faith because we believe the lie that says that faith is just in how I feel. Oh, I have a rosary. Oh, I have a family Bible. No, faith is how you live. That's faith. Faith is I know it, and so I move on it. And he says, if you're going to ask God for anything, ask like that. Which means not, Lord, I sure could use your help. Oh, I know you're busy. I know it probably doesn't matter to you. and if, well, I don't even know if you're able to do this. But if you want to, amen. And you're like, well, who prays like that? You pray like that. You don't pray those words, but you pray that thought. You ever pray this? God, get me out. I mean, that's probably not going to happen anyway. You ever talk yourself out of a prayer? You ever ask God for something boldly and it doesn't come to pass and you say this? See, I knew that wasn't going to work. That's living in doubt and that's praying without faith. And so James says, if you're going to pray, pray with faith, which means you believe that God can, you believe that God will, and you believe that he loves you so much that he will for you. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. In this passage of scripture, James is echoing the voice of his half-brother Jesus in Matthew 20, 21 21 and 21. He he says, "If, if you have faith and do not doubt, you can say to that mountain move and it will move. 
If you have faith and you do not doubt, you can say to that mountain, move. And it will move. I, I think if I was an applicational preacher, I would say, so what's your mountain? Right? But because I'm, I'm trying to be like a regular person preacher, I want to ask the question that you ask, which is, I've told some mountains to move, and they didn't move. If I was just up here in front of 3,000 people, I'd be like, I want you to think about your mountain, and I want you to speak in faith. Mountain? I'd have you all stand up. We'd do a whole thing. We go, mountain. We have done that. You think I'm just making this up? This is from firsthand experience. No, I'm not doing that. Because I know you, like me, we've lived a life where you've looked at a mountain and said, move, and it hasn't moved. You've prayed for healing and it hasn't come. You've prayed for restoration. I need this marriage to work and it hasn't worked. God saved my kids and they're not saved. You've prayed some things in faith and they haven't moved. And so I want to ask this question. Why doesn't it work? Why does the Bible tell us that if we have faith and we do not doubt, it will work. But for sometimes, for some of us, it doesn't work. Is it because we don't have faith? Is that what we're saying when people who are sick come to the altar and seek healing earnestly and they don't get healed? Are we as a church saying, looks like you're not faithful. Is that helpful in any way? No. And so for, for us here, rather than to make these grand dramatic gestures, we should know exactly what scripture says so when we come in faith and don't see things move by faith, we can still trust the God in whom we have faith. You with me? I don't want you to ask God for something and it doesn't come to pass and your faith is so shallow you go, see, God's not real. I want you to go, gosh, that hurt and I still love you. You with me? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about prayer because that's what we're asking. James says if you're going to ask or pray, ask in faith or pray in faith. And the four ways that you pray in faith, we're going to do this super clear so you can understand that framework, how to pray in faith. And the first one is this, pray wisely. Thank God we just talked about wisdom. So it all fits together. Amen? You need wisdom more than anything else, which is to understand God's word and his will to apply it to your life. With me? And so if you want to pray by faith, the first way you must pray is to pray wisely or pray with wisdom, which means to pray according to his will. Jesus says in 1 John 5, 14, if you pray anything according to his will, he hears you. What does that not say? It doesn't say he grants you. We've confused God's ability to answer prayer and implied that he has an obligation to answer prayer. You think Jesus said, if you pray anything according to his will, well, and he's contractually obligated to come through within three to six weeks, <laughs> shipping included. 
That's not what he says. He says, if you pray anything according to his will, then the Lord hears you. It is this. If what you're praying is what God wants you to be praying, then you are in communion with the God to whom you pray. You are aligned, and that is the perfect place to start. You might ask this. Well, how do I know what he wants me to pray? You ever go to a job and you, you're like, give me this job or don't. I don't know. Do I need? What do I? You ever have a decision and you don't know how to pray? You're like equal. Pros and cons, they're all the same. God, do the, it's, I don't, I don't know. You ever been there? It's tough sometimes to know God's will for your life. And if you're praying wisely, your prayer begins with, hey, what do you want? You see, a lot of us begin our prayer with, hey, sit down, I want to tell you what I want. Keep it quiet in heaven. I got some things to chat about. No, praying wisely is, hey, what do you have for me? What is your will? You'll get the answer to God's will for your life in two fashions. One, being a prayer person who is not just a speaker but also a listener and being a believer who is not just an attender but also a reader. The best way you can understand God's will for your life is this. So here's the deal. When you're praying, you have to make sure that you're praying what God wants you to be praying about. Here's a good one for you. How about wisdom? The Bible says you need wisdom. You should ask for wisdom. Oh, my goodness gracious. Before you ask for anything, ask for, what did we say in the whole first part of this message? Ask for wisdom. You want to pray in faith? Pray for his will. Pray for his guidance. Pray for his direction. What is it that you want? Number two, pray clearly. Philippians chapter four, verse six, <coughs> excuse me. The apostle Paul says, if you're gonna be praying, make sure that you're praying about everything. He says, in all things through prayer and supplication, pray, pray pray. Now here's what I'm not telling you. I'm not telling you to begin prayer time with the Lord to say this. So meet every need and fulfill every heart and do all things. Amen. You with me? No. Praying about everything means praying thoroughly and clearly and specifically. The most powerful prayers you can pray are when you sit down and hash the whole thing out with God. One of the worst prayers that I hate to hear is when people pray for unspoken needs. God, meet every unspoken need. Why are you not talking about what you need? Don't meet unspoken needs. Make us say those things to you, Lord. I'm praying against that, just so you know, if we're in a small group and you pray for that, I'm like, don't do it, Lord. Don't meet unspoken needs. <laughs> Praying against your prayer, terrible. Why? Because if you've ever had kids, you'll understand this principle. When children mature, we want them to use their skills as they grow older. So when they're six months and they point to their favorite treat, it's adorable because they learn to point. But at nine months, you want them to start making some sounds. What is it? And they say, baba. And you're like, oh, it sounds like crackers. It doesn't, but you think it does, and you're so excited. But when they're 12 months or 16 months or 18 months, Baba is not what you want to hear from your baby. Why? Because you want to see some maturation in their journey. So you say this, use your So when you pray for God to meet all the unspoken needs, I'm saying use your words. 
There are some things in your life that you haven't seen God bring forth because you haven't talked about them yet. You're content to live in silence, sad that God doesn't love you because he won't meet this need. And he's like, use your words. Speak to me. Tell me the desires of your heart. I long to meet them. Why? So I can fulfill things for you like a journey? Know that you might come to know that I'm a good, good father. Pray clearly. We are out of time. We're out of time. We're halfway through the message. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to bring the team up. Let's worship for a little bit. We'll have to do part two next week. Is that okay? Sheesh. Was it good? Y'all feeling good? I'm so blessed right now. Amen. God's faithful. Let's do this. Stand to your feet all over the room. Thanks for joining Be The Light Podcast with lead pastor C.B. Barthlow. Visit our website at denverbeacon.org. To download our Beacon app, text Beacon to 97000. Once again, text Beacon to 97000. Whatever you do, please remember to be the light. Let's go!